Whoa, 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 hey there. What is it? Where are you going? You gotta stay and listen to our podcast. I've gotta return some videotape. Welcome, everybody, to the Real Thrills Podcast. I'm your host, Jay, and as always, with my loyal companion in crime, Eric. How are you today? Hello, everyone. Happy Independence Day. Yeah, it's, we're recording on July 4th, Sunday. Uh, dropping tomorrow. Yes. On Monday for all you li- Hopefully, you have a day off. Uh, I think we're going to see some numbers on this podcast. Today, we are doing a—we we talked about this in our, our pre-show notes— American Psycho, and just what a lovely rewatch. What It just blows me away how, I, I was just reading the numbers, how it bombed in the box office. That first week, it was $7 million budget, only did $4 million in the first week. Ooh, ouch. Guess, guess who was there on opening day? This guy. Oh, I, saw, I, saw, okay. I saw this in the theater, everybody. I did not wait for VHS or even DVD or whatever the hell it, back in 2000 was. You didn't sneak in, did you? Absolutely no. All right, I was, good. I you was, paid uh, those dollars. I was 18 years old. I, I, I uh, going into my senior year. I think it was in the summer of going into my senior year of high school. A buddy of mine, Derek, uh, no longer with us. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Definitely. Um, we went to Manchester uh, Cinemas at, at the mall over oh, there yeah. and Buckland. Uh, uh, Buckland, yeah. And I th- either we were. This is where the story gets kind of foggy. Either we were committed to see the movie, because I loved horror movies. Like, I was 18. I was really into it. I was like, hey, what the hell? Why not? Or we were going to see something else, and we were probably too late, and we just said, ah, we might as well watch American Psycho. I'm not really sure, but when we came out of that movie, I think we might have quoted that movie for, like, two years, you know, that whole senior year, and no one had any clue what the hell we were talking about, because nobody saw it, so... (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It flew under the radar, but I think now it's it's probably come back with a little bit more of uh, you know some some success, and it's a, become a little bit of a cult classic. I um, would imagine it will. It should. If it isn't, it should. It's twenty one years ago. So are we in that time frame of being a cult classic? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're cult classic times, and for sure, I think we both agree that this was a really enjoyable rewatch. Um, it's been probably at least ten years since I've seen it, if not more for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I feel like I saw it probably like oh seven or something, and I, I didn't see it when it first came out. I think I saw it kind of late in the game, um, but it was yeah, what a great rewatch. It was uh, it was it had funny moments. It had good kind of uh, jump scares in a way. Um, a lot of unintentional comedy throughout this whole thing oh, for sure. and, and i'm sure we'll go over it. a lot of just great lines so what it actually is for everybody it was actually a book written by brett easton ellis is that yep. right um so it was a novel made into a movie directed by mary 
Heron. Heron. Uh, forgive me. D- did you have any notes on her? I-, I actually did not look her up. Sorry. The only note I, I saw was that um, she was a uh, hardcore feminist. And so I don't know how that... Weird. <laughs> how that... Because if you watch this movie, it's uh, it it doesn't really the ladies don't get uh, treated very well. I mean, it was the eighties, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> might as well oh, yeah, been the fifties, you know. Let's, let's let's back up. So this was, you know, came out in two thousand, starring Christian Bale and a lot of other great names. We'll get into, um, and this is Christian Bale before Batman, everybody. So yep. like. He came onto this screen, and I, I was in love with this guy. Like I was like, "This guy's amazing." Yep. <laughs> loved loved him as Patrick Bateman in in uh, American Psycho. Um, but I digress. Uh, but it was set back in they eighty seven. I think it, is when I, a lot of it's loose. I think they try to be eighty nine, but well, there's a lot of eighty seven in the movie that they I think they screwed up on. The, the Zaga Guide it was from nineteen eighty seven. Um, and I think there was a reference to a record and it was like 87 and it was actually 89. Yeah. I think, uh, the book, I, I think the book was, was set in 89, but I think they tried to set the movie in 87 and they weren't quite, um, totally on with the timeline. Yeah. Cause I think like the Reagan speech happened in correct. Like, that was the other one. Yeah. I think that was late 87, maybe 88. No, um, I think it was 89. It was, it was really? kind of his, yeah, it was, it was, uh, about I mean, the whole contra, issue that was yeah I mean, we, we go through some seasons i think because we go from i think christmas to easter ish so we're like in a three month span yeah and it around there doesn't feel like it it no. feels like it's fluid it feels like it's it's like yeah you go with like three days or it's something. like a weekend patrick bateman on a weekend yeah, exactly. <laughs> i guess uh but anyway so yeah it was 2000 set in 80 late 80s let's just leave it right there it's a thriller crime horror like Serial killer. There's a lot going on. Uh, thriller only because there's like a detective in it. And he's yep. trying to figure out what happened to some of these disappearance. And what a phenomenal part we'll get into later. Um, and, we, you know, quickly, sometimes we hit on this, that death count uh, is believed to be around 12. But then in the confessions... Up to 40? <laughs> we're up to at least 50, I think, yeah. is is what, you know... So there's a lot you don't see on screen, but he confesses to a ton uh, at the end, which is a phenomenal scene. Yeah, so. it's a great, great monologue. So you got any other uh, movie notes before we move along? No, I think that's the main stuff. So a couple, um, like, other stars in the film that kind of are a big standout, um, I think, before they really blossomed in popularity... Um, Patrick's uh, fiance is played by Reese Witherspoon. She plays the character Evelyn. Um, does a great job. Um, yeah, she would never play that role again. Yeah, like <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how she. She is such a uh, uh, pristine type actress that this movie seems to come out of left field for her. But it was early in the game, I for guess. Sure. Two thousand, I guess. Yeah. And I'd say the other like real standout is uh, Willem Dafoe. Obviously, like yeah. I mean, he's got nothing to lose. He can be in anything, and people are, are you know, he's not going to lose any fans. So the fact is, like, he could be in one of these types of yeah. movies, and and you know, it. He was phenomenal. Doesn't yeah, doesn't Donald, his Donald Kimball was his uh, character, and he was the detective. I think every scene that he, him, and Bateman were in are just transcending. It was it was it was awesome. Yeah, definitely a lot a lot of star power right there. Yeah, but I think that's um that's a and John John Lucas. Movie. Let's not one of the one of his buddies over at uh, Pierce, Pierce and Pierce. And Pierce. <laughs> uh, 
he's the Home Depot voice for everyone nowadays. When you watch a Home Depot commercial, that is John Lucas, everybody. And he's in this movie. Uh, he's also stars with uh, Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home Alabama. Just dropping the romantic comedy on everybody. You, you know? dropped it hard. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, oh, and uh, Jared Leto. I mean, we got to give. Jared Leto, yeah. He's great in this. He plays almost like, um, uh, you know, what's the bill from uh, Office Space? Gonna need you to come in on the weekend. You know, he kind of reminds he like plays like that Snarmy. type of dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very, you know, he, he's uh, he, you know what what these what these guys are for all of you listeners. This is 1980s Manhattan, Wall Street, just total. I mean, go on with your own opinions about what these guys are like. Pretty shallow. Pretty like Th- yeah. This this is like indulgence. It's narcissism it's hedonism like it's it's across the board it's it's the 1980s in manhattan on yeah wall it's street. like the wall street playboys we'll yeah, call it you know yeah. that, that's kind of like it's the boys club and everyone's got slip back hair thousand dollar suits if not i don't know tens of thousand dollars back suits. then a thousand dollar suit was probably a ten thousand dollars yeah <laughs> yeah these these guys you know if you if you like the you know what is the uh show Mad Men. Yeah, it's super Mad Men, but on Wall Street. Like, slick back yeah. hair, super nice suits. Uh, Drinking in the office. Yeah, you know, and like, just, you know, <laughs> you know, as you go through the movie, nobody does a goddamn thing at work. Oh, not even a little bit. Not, <laughs> everyone's in their offices doing absolutely nothing. The most, the most work I think you see is uh, Patrick Bateman watching Jeopardy. Or Jean. I guess she's doing work. She's a secretary. Jean's doing work. She's, she's making reservations for dinner and for drinks all day. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is a also a Zagat guide to Manhattan in the late '80s, and which you know they have a shout out to that for sure. He opens it up. Uh, uh, you make jokes about going to Dor- Dorcia or Dorcia, <laughs> Dorcia, Dorcia, very elite restaurant. It, uh, you know, made up in this uh, movie, but they're always referring to it as, "Hey, I can get reservations," or he would call and get laughed at at the Major D. <laughs> so. It's just a huge Zagat guide. If you're if you're a foodie or a chef, you're probably like this is like a secret dark pleasure of you to watch this movie. And I think um, so. We should get into the opening scene because I feel like yes. that's going to let us know the time period <laughs> to yeah. some degree. Yeah, go ahead. So go. opening scene, uh, we start out and um, we see you know some some red smears uh, or some something going on a, a white surface. And as they start to zoom out, you see that they're basically preparing food. You see a knife yeah. cutting through meat. Um, but you start to see this very, what would be considered now a little bit of dated cuisine. <laughs> it's like the food looks good, but you can tell like a lot of the baby veg and the flowers and stuff like give you a very 80s vibe in terms of food. And then they start showing the table, like how the tables are set. And you see obviously like it's super 80s looking. So you already kind of get a, a sense when you first start the movie, even if you had know nothing about it. You get a sense that it's set in the eighties. You're kind of like, time what period. the hell? It's this pale white, blank screen. Yep. Red again. I think it's red letter. No. Yeah, red lettering. Red lettering again, popping up. The red sauce. Which and then yeah, what looks like all right, blood dripping. It's not ketchup. It's definitely some sort of berry reduction because they got duck on the plate. So I'm gonna go that it's a cherry reduction of some sort. But it, I think it's trying to trick you as a viewer to be like, all right, American I see, Psycho. Yeah, there's, and there's, there's some white, blood, there's and blood. then you're like, oh wait, that's not blood. That's actually uh, a nice a nice sauce that they're dropping on a plate and like making these cool designs and what what have you. But uh, they're smoking in the restaurant. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely dated to to that. Um, 
But yeah, just like I mentioned before, like a total Zagat's Guide to New York City and all these fine restaurants. They name drop, I don't know, like 12, 12 places like in this, maybe more. Yeah. Oh yeah, more like they're and every they time they go out, you are looking at it as a viewer and you're like you're. I think what they're trying to tell you is like you wish you were them. Like this, this is this is spectacular. They made it very like elite and cool. Yeah, right. And um, in the opening scene, like you know, it, it, it's kind of uh, it's 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 Patrick and three of his of his colleagues. You can tell they're all wearing their their fancy suits and they're having kind of a general conversation, but instantly it goes into a bunch of anti-Semitic rants and marks. And so like, you can tell like definitely outdated, but you kind of get the sense of these people are kind of like kind of pieces of shit in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> Except vapid, uh, right. you know, only, uh, materialistic. Um, and some of like what Patrick, some inner monologue kind of happening with Patrick. Yeah. Uh, and then when he does actually speak, it looks like all those guys kind of revere him in a sense that he actually has substance to what he says. Uh, and he's very deep. Well, yeah, he starts basically telling them like stopping. So, you know, goddamn anti-Semitic and, and, you know, he's trying to like put things into some perspective and they're just kind of sitting back and, you know, like they don't get it. It's kind of going over yeah. their heads and they're just like, uh, what are you talking about? Like, but I think let's just go to the bathroom and uh, you know they, they yeah, tap let's the go nose, our nose and let's, yeah. let's go powder our nose yes. But I wonder you know I wonder how much of 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 them of the movie making him kind of the person that's standing up to this even though he's like in it and he's like everybody else that you want to be you want to like him because like the, you can't make him a good bad guy unless like maybe you like him a little bit at first like you want to like see through his eyes or you want to see you through his mind so I feel oh, like. You got to make them likable to some degree, otherwise yeah. the movie doesn't doesn't work. Oh, and you do like them, everybody. You will, and you actually cheer for him <laughs> towards the end, and you'll you'll see why. Yep. Um, or you you don't understand why, but it's one of those situations where you're, you know, you're you're kind of cheering for the bad guy. You're hoping he comes out on top for whatever weird reason. It makes you really. It's a mind fuck. It is. Yeah. You you don't. Yeah. You definitely don't know why, but you, something about him you like, and you maybe just get to know him over the amount of time and. Or maybe maybe you hate him. I don't know. You you tell us. But I think uh, you probably come out liking him to some degree. Yeah, a lot of his inner monologue, the way he kind of narrates himself, his morning routines. I'm, maybe, uh, do you allude to that any 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 farther? Um, before I, I just, step on it. Basically, I just want to say like it's a lot of vanity for yeah. sure in front of the vanity. <laughs> yeah, and and a little show note. Uh, he you know Christian Bale really is a uh, method actor, so he really did those morning routines every day for yeah, nine months. He's got these moisturizers and scrubs and potions and lotions. And, and, the, and, the, and the way he just walks through the process, I'm kind of like, I, I believe it or not, I, I'm sure I tried to take away some of what he was doing and, and tried to apply that to myself uh, at 18-year-old me. I'm like, oh, that guy's pretty pretty cool. You know? Yeah, I, like, think I, I think I had a Stridex pad. I was rubbing pretty hard, but nothing was really doing. <laughs> with with tree oil on it or whatever. I'm looking down, I'm like, I still don't have abs, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that never happened, but... Uh, um, well, before the, before they show his like morning routine, um, after they, so it seems like the whole movie is that it's these four douchebags hanging around drinking and doing Coke at restaurants that are really high class. And then the, the whole concept is like, they just want to find the next place to go. Like, where are we going next? You know? And so they always go to a club or a bar or somewhere where they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to party down and they're going to, they're going to keep the party going because that's just what they do. They're, they're. The Playboys, you know? Oh, 100%. But you start to see the first... Because the monologue that's happening is, you know, he 
he's sort of like a self-aware psychopath. He knows he has like no feelings, no emotions. Very self-aware. I, I mean, throughout this whole, <clears throat> I mean, it's very honorable. <laughs> with yeah, how self-aware this guy is. Yeah, he's like, look, I'm like, you know, this fucking meat carcass moving around, but like, I'm just not there. Like, I have no I, soul. I have no soul. Yeah, and he's he's laying it all out to you right early in the first five minutes. Like, yeah, so I am like, vapid as hell. I don't care about anybody. I have a problem. I mean, he addresses his bloodlust right away. Yep, and he said, and so when he's at the the bar. Um, He's got some drink tickets or something, and he's going to hand them to the bartender, this woman. And she's like, we don't take this anymore. It's a cash bar only. And so she turns around, and she's getting his drinks together. And he says, you're a fucking ugly bitch, and I want to stab you to death and play with your blood. And then she doesn't hear him, obviously. She turns around and gives him his drinks, and he just smiles at her or whatever. But you start to get the sense of, like, the mask coming off. And then you literally see the mask coming off of his daily regimen there you go yeah. um and so i think that kind of plays like i, I think that those scenes being back to back really i think are a telltale piece of the movie that i think is really important to see is that he's talking about like how he's got this facade and he's not there and then it goes into his like i need to look really good i need to look like i fit in i need to work out i need to be in good shape i need to you know, be yeah. this person, but like I'm peeling off this mask and it's just, I'm, I'm not there. Yeah. And he said, he lays it all out there for you. Very self-aware and very hollow as a, as a human. He's like, I am just flesh. Yeah. He, and he wants to fit in. He says it over and over. Yes. And so we'll talk about it later, but I think it, it goes to like what suits he buys, what restaurants he wants to go to, what music he likes. Cause he likes very mainstream music. And yeah. It, tracks throughout the whole movie it's a really mainstream and some music. of his narratives of the music i'm sure you ate yeah. that shit up right oh i loved it <laughs> <laughs> so uh which brings us to the next section here the drop when shit gets real um that moment at the bar does that is that is that a candidate here or i got you- two but that's not one of them okay um what do you have i, I have the business card off Oh, because yeah. he the the look on his face, and he trembles, and there's a moment there when you're just watching this happen. So what's happening in this scene is that these business guys are all whipping their dicks out, pretty much about their business cards, and they're just like, "Look how impressive my business card is! The colors, the tones, the prints." Um, they're all they're all vice presidents on the card. Yeah, they're all vice presidents. And there's a misspelling on every card. Acquisitions. It, and I and I think what it's trying to say is how 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 egotistical these guys are, and and materialistic that they don't even care what is actually said on the card, other than what it looks like and what it represents. Yeah, and again, it's like they're all these sort of like faceless like sheep of society that are just like you know they're wealthy and they they live well and they make a lot of money but they have no like individual characteristics other than this fucking business card but even the business cards are like they're so minor (laughs) yeah for me it's like you put them in a row i couldn't tell the difference but i think that's the point and And yeah like how it's sort of like they're so faceless that not only do their cards look so similar but only they can kind of pick them out but they're all a vice president president in this company right so yeah. sort of like everyone's a fucking you know ken doll so to speak yeah <laughs> and uh so and like i said there's a moment there when uh patrick bateman sees paul allen's card who is going to be a very pivotal pivotal character yep um played by jared leto and he just 
trembles. And it, the look on his face is like this 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 he is not right. Um, yeah, he gets sweat. He they the uh, Lewis or whatever yeah. basically tells him like are you okay, Patrick? You're you're no. sweating. And right there I'm just like something's not right. Like we're we're not, you know, th- this <clears throat> is just going to get worse for this guy. I do want to say that there's a good uh a good um bit of foreshadowing here that his the color of his card is bone. Cuz oh. we cuz we're going to see that later too cuz when he He's doing a crossword puzzle in his office when Gene comes in before they're going to make their dinner date. And he's writing, um, I think, meat and bones for all the answers on the crossword. Yeah. So, like, bone, meat, brains, like, all these things are kind of, like, tracked throughout the whole movie. So, um, his business card being bone is just very fitting. There you go. So, yeah, that's that's the drop when shit gets real. I think that, that scene, pay attention, listeners, watch it back again. Uh, and just look at the face. Look, He just, he, he, he seems psychotic at this point. Already about a business card. Yeah. We're not even dealing with a human being yet, you know, but uh, what do you got? I'm going to the moment when he first gets angry and because he's so calm throughout everything, you know, even with the business card, even though he's like sitting there, like he's not, he's not visibly upset. He's just, people look at him and he's sweating, he's trembling, but they don't know what that is. He could have food poisoning for all we know. <laughs> and maybe got a bad batch at Texarkana or something of that uh, mud soup or whatever. <laughs> Um, but he's angry he's in a laundromat right so he's in a laundromat or dry cleaning place and he's Uh, you hear him screaming at the people that work there Um, it's like this older Asian couple and they're arguing with him and he um, he's saying you can't use bleach on these sheets or whatever he's talking about like how fancy the the thread count is or whatever arguing back and forth but you see this massive blood stain all over the sheet and he starts like getting angry with them he's yelling back and forth oh, at yeah. them and so you start to finally see that he's got snapping he's got he's emotion because yeah. he's talking about having no emotion and it really plays in the movie because when he when he's talking to everybody he just sits back and everything is very monotone and it's just you know this is who I am but then Snobby, when you actually yeah. start, get to see him start getting angry and and actually yelling over these blood-filled sheets, to me, it's like, that's when you know that we've gone from him speaking about how he's got a bloodlust to actually seeing that clearly this is a bloodlust. It's not the crayon, you know, the crayon raspberry juice or whatever. That crayon, he apple. To, crayon apple. Crayon <laughs> apple. Again, another line in the unintentional comedy moment where he, he just says, oh, it's just crayon, it's just cranberry juice, crayon apple. Yeah. And it's just like, that, where did... Where did that come from, Pat? Like, First of all, he takes awesome. he he's like a fucking froyo, like you know he's not going to be drinking juice. Come on, it doesn't grand apple in bed. Yeah, and he just spill it all over the place. He drinks a Polinaris, which I got to say is a very fine water, naturally sparkling. I, I will give a props to that great mineral water. Um, a Polinaris, if you're listening, we'd love a a little uh, hookup here. Yeah, hey. sponsorship. Um, Cha-ching. but great water. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of funny that he's like, oh, it's, it's high C, <laughs> you know, it's, he might as well, <laughs> it's <apple>. juicy juice. <laughs> um, what else? You, you said you had another one or? Yeah. The other one, I think, um, even if you don't like, if, even if you like believe him at this stage and you're like, okay, maybe it's crying apple juice. Maybe he, who knows what that, what that, that stain is on his sheets. Um, is that 22 minutes in is when you first see him commit his first murder. Right. Mm-hmm. He's in. He goes down an alleyway, and there's a, a homeless man in the alleyway there, and he kind of like taps him on the shoulder, and he wakes him up, and he's having this. He's going off in this diatribe about like why he yeah, needs he's like to belittling get it. Yeah, like you should home. have a job. Um, you stink, man. You stink. You smell like shit. 
And he's like, "I'm please, I'm so hungry." And he he pretends he's going to help him out, and then he pulls a knife out and stabs the the homeless man in the gut. Al is his name. Yeah. Stabs him in the gut, and then stomps his dog. And so you're like, okay, that shit really got real here. So a couple different points where he's escalating. And you will you hear him say, too, that his nightly bloodlust is starting to trickle into his days. Yeah. And so I think that he's escalating more and more and getting more and more comfortable with what he's doing and his anger is building and building with what he wants to do. But he's really going after these people that mean nothing to him, whether it's like a prostitute or it's, you know, this homeless yeah. man. Seems like that's kind of where he's... Picking his victims. Yeah, is he is he picking them because of their societal um, contributions? Yeah, but it's like, They're dude, not. you're a fucking nepotism case. Your father like runs Pierce and Pierce, and you are vice president there. You went to Harvard. You're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, and you're picking on this. You're like probably like former war vet or something who's homeless and telling yeah. him he needs to get a job. It's like, all right, well. Um, you know, you were born on third base and act like you hit a triple, but yeah, exactly. Now there was another scene. It was right before the laundromat scene when he was walking that, that was the night when he was walking and there was a woman walking by herself. He gets cash out of the ATM and he gets cash out of the ATM, probably for a prostitute that he's probably going to kill. Um, and he starts, you, all you hear is kind of footsteps. You want, you see the woman walk by and then you see him kind of turn and then he kind of speeds up. You hear the footsteps pick up pace, and then finally he then stops at a stoplight, and then he starts. And then he, when they they take a step at the same time in unison, yeah. And then there was a moment there where I was just like, "Ooh, you know, is this the drop too?" Like, yeah. Because then the next scene just flashes, like you don't see what happens, but then he's got blood all over his sheets. Now is that for the prostitute, or right, is, is right. he just linked into this woman right now? From no, that makes sense. Yeah, that that scene the next morning he's at the laundromat with yeah, the bloody so sheets. Yeah, so it kind of parlays into yeah, the drop. I forgot of about like, that piece because I remember him walking really fast, and she just got creeped. Her eyes got big, and she's like, "Whoa!" And then he just started walking in unison with her, and that was the funny part because he was hustling to catch up to her. Yeah, and well, then he, he slows down to walk with her. Well, because she stopped at the stops. She stopped at yeah. like a you know a, a don't walk sign yep. or whatever, and he. Like he glances over at her and she's looking straight because she's like, I don't know who I don't. I heard footsteps walking really quick and I know someone's in my peripheral, but I'm not going to look over. And then he kind of like looks over and he's like, hello. And then so she looks back and she she kind of takes a double take. And then when she realizes that he's like, oh, he looks like a nice, well-dressed. She feels comfortable with him. So like his facade worked like he's a true psychopath, the person that she should be scared of. But the facade of him wearing this suit and looking presentable has made him like the Ted Bundy in this scene is that, you know, he's like, and he mentions Ted Bundy in the movie, yeah, right? Yeah, later on, yeah. Um, but he he's basically Ted Bundy. He he just, he's this very charismatic, nice looking guy who probably could have landed this woman in a heartbeat and yeah. she's interested and obviously is somewhat attracted to him based on her glances over at him a couple times and, Right. And he ends up being the person that she should be afraid of. And we don't have to deep dive into this. I mean, you you listeners can go on the internet and figure it out for yourself. But, I mean, it's kind of some of these preconceived things. He's definitely becoming the serial killer type. He has pays a lot of homage to other serial killers that oh, we, will, we will get into. But there, there's a moment there where, like, what was the origins of this, right? You know, yeah. like, it, it, those stories are untold. You just mentioned how how he the nepotism and just how he's 
got the silver spoon and he's got everything he ever well, wanted. Well, the beginning but- is the only time you hear, I think, because uh, he's having a conversation with Evelyn and she says something like, oh, you're your father's company or something. And so yeah. you're like, you instantly get a, a sense of like, okay, okay, we get who he is. But you never get to meet his parents or see his parents, see if they're dysfunctional or not. Because you want to see is like, is he like, is he really Ed Gein? You know what I mean? Because yeah. his his traits lead you to think that he's like an Ed Gein type but you don't hear anything about his mother. You don't right. know anything about his father other than he's w- well off. And yeah, you never see his father in the yeah. whole thing. They so. don't mention him other than that. No, that was it. But, uh, yeah, it's just those origin stories, I, I, I don't know. Like that, 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 That'd be fun to do a deep dive on, but not in this show. But let's move on to the favorite death scene. What do you got? Okay, so this is it's kind of a hard one because there's there's some pretty good ones in this movie. Like I got to say that I think having seen a million and one horror movies and seeing really great like kill scenes and I'll call out movies like obviously um Friday the 13th, Hatchet, like movies with really great death scenes, but I fucking love the scene where he kills Paul Allen. <laughs> when he kills Jared Leto to Huey Lewis's It's Hip to Be Square and he's swinging an axe and he's saying, <laughs> what does yeah. he say? Good luck getting reservations at Dorsey and now, you stupid bastard. <laughs> it's just so fucking funny and it's not like a great, like, it's not like super original or anything, but it's just that the juxtaposition of this like pop tune about conformity yes. and him swinging an axe on the person that and can we stop for a second here and say, is Paul Allen the Franklin Award? Oh, interesting. Because think- we, we always have a Franklin, and not that Paul Allen deserves to die, but like you kind you kind of hate him. He's a bit douchey. He's, They're yeah. all douchey in it, but like because you're rooting for Patrick Bateman at, at the beginning of the movie because he's like the person you're seeing sort of the movie through yeah, his for eyes. Pretty much most of the movie, and especially towards the end. So there's a moment in there where you're like you get you you turn on him for a second because he gets really graphic yeah, and he gets yeah. really sick and twisted. Um, but then. Five minutes later, you're kind of like, "Oh man, is he is he gonna get out of this?" Yeah, is he gonna be okay? So you're 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 riveted. But uh, yes, I wrote down Franklin Award, Paul Allen, and the other candidate I had was Elizabeth because she was a bitch. She was the oh right right. She was the one towards the end uh, where where shit just gets totally fucking real. Yeah, and um, she's just like this woman that Patrick Bateman knows and. She's and she just, she's played by uh, Guinevere Turner. Yeah, who helped r- wrote. She was a, she wrote the screenplay. She, yeah, and uh, yeah, and she she gets to play this really annoying character. Yeah, and she's just super snobby. She's like the perfect uh, Upper West Side, like talking to this prostitute who she doesn't know. Who like Bateman's kind of like oh it's my cousin. She's like oh like where do you do you go to the Hamptons during the summer? Like how do I know you? And it's just like you are super fucking annoying. What when is your time up? Like, but she she's a, she's the female Paul Allen in the movie. Yeah, because that's why I had them both. I was but, like Paul Allen, okay. And then, both things that happen are that the entire time that that Patrick Bateman is like sort of confessing to them like about how twisted he is. In both scenarios, they're not listening to him at all, and they just ask him a question back. Like you know, he says something to Paul Allen when he's in there in uh, Texarkana and he's um, 
he says something like, I like to um, dismember women or something like that. And Paul Allen's like, okay, let me, let me ask you something, Marcus. And he, cause he obviously thinks he's the wrong person, but he's like, he's like, you know, another mistaken identity. I don't know if this happens at least half a dozen times. In the yeah, movie. it's happening. And I, I, I can't even keep track. And I think the reason that there's so much of this is that again, there's just no personality in this movie. It's like, um, while Patrick Bateman is the only like psychopath you actually he's follow, overflowing with fucking yeah. personality. <laughs> well, you, you you he's the only person you really follow the whole movie. But I think like in terms of like his sort of like there's nothing here. I'm a shell of a person. Like really relates to a lot of the people I think in this movie. But yeah. you only really follow one. And I think that again this the case of mistaken identity plays throughout the entire movie. Whether he's going to get caught or not, whether. Patrick or Paul Allen still alive or not is all comes down to the fact that nobody knows who the fuck these people are and nobody gives a shit. They're just like there because of status, you know? They're there for this this uh soulless, personalityless like um people in this movie, but they hang out with them for whatever reason. Um but yeah, anyway, the Franklin where I just had to jump in real quick yeah. because Paul Allen, no, like uh, when he I gets killed, right there too. Paul when he gets Allen killed and, and he's he's totally trash in the apartment and he's like, Why are the you know, the the these articles classified, yeah. The, the, the style section <laughs> taped to your floor because yeah, he like preps his apartment for this kill, like in a total like Dexter kind of move or something. Oh, yeah, where he's all prepped up, ready to go, and he's, he's got a raincoat. Is that a raincoat? Rain <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is, Paul. And yeah, and he goes on this uh, he goes on this tirade about uh, Huey Lewis and the News, talking about you know their their albums and how they really came into each you know came, came into, into themselves each other and the score, they're right? consummate professionals score? and four. What was it? They went from sports to sports. four. That was it. Yep. Um, so sports to golf, right? Four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like they're playing this loud music on his like you know obviously like 1980s stereo system. Um, but was on, he dropping in there? CDs, right? Yeah, he's got CDs. Even though I think this didn't come out on CD till like the following year or something, so it didn't really, you know, yeah, wasn't it was one of those nitpicks, I guess. <laughs> a little bit of a nitpick, but uh, yeah, it was just a great. He's swinging this axe. He's covered in blood, and he's listening to uh, "Hip to Be Square." Hip to Be Square. It's, it's a true. great, great scene. I figured you would probably choose that, so I'm going to do a different one. And it was sheer comedy and marksmanship of. Patrick Bateman uh, is when towards the end he's just running for his life. Uh, shootout with the cops. He run he he goes into this um, either hotel and, and or office building. I know office, what you're talking no, about. I don't. I don't think it was the office building yet. This is the one when he was called. Hey, Mister Smith. Smith. And I was like, oh, another office another building. another identity. Yeah. False identity. And he shoots the guy at the front desk, and then he starts goes around the corner. He starts <laughs> going around the corner. No, he goes around the corner and he starts heading for the door. And then a janitor pops out of nowhere. <laughs> Poor janitor is just like minding his own business, mopping floors. Patrick Bateman goes through this turnstile revolving door, three sixties, because he sees him behind his shoulder. Goes. Out and right back in, in one swoop motion, pulls out his gun, marksmanship, from about, I don't know, 60 feet away, with a little glock, shoots the guy dead, and then spins right back out the revolving door. I was like, yeah. that was 
awesome. Like that this is this turned into an action movie. Yeah, very that quickly. that whole scene is is unbelievable. It's so great. It was like two deaths in like, I don't know, 8 seconds. But I think <laughs> and again, another piece of this sort of like faceless like everybody's the same New York City is that that's an office building and goes in. He gets miss he gets um uh misrecognized yeah. as this guy Smith. Or is he Mr. Smith at this place? Right. And, and he just kills people there. And then he <laughs> goes into another building that looks exactly the same and there's another security guard there but he goes up this time and pulls out a pen and signs in because that's his office. Yeah. So it looks exactly the same. Like all the shots, everything looks exactly the same. So you're like, okay, it's just like the Twin Towers? Like, you know, like where? Which, which there was a picture of the Twin Towers. Yep. 2000 film so a little flashback and and because it was an 89 ish movie but yeah the twin towers were there you know it was i i noticed that right away there was a there was a scene where he kind of was walking in the street and they saw the twin towers i was like holy shit the twin towers yep it's crazy yeah every time you see a movie like every time i watch home alone Oh yeah, uh, lost in New York, uh, and he's like on the, he's you know, yeah, up it's, there. it's one of those landmarks for people like us, yeah, you know, and, and your listeners. It's like I kind of picked that out a lot in movies. Well, I can I can date it. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah I was this... like, oh, Twin Towers is still there. Anyway, sorry. I mean, there is one other great kill scene that we have to mention is sure. that is the chainsaw scene. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, mean, it's beautiful. It's got to be ranked as one of the best. Deaths in a horror movie. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. So he's he's on his uh he's on his second three way with uh, Christy, and now he's with Elizabeth, who he's roofied. And um, after we we believe that he he bit something on Elizabeth, and she's in bed. Yeah. Um, Christy decides to bail, and she's running in the hallway, and she goes down this like spiral kind of staircase. I don't know how else to describe it. Sort of like a yeah, it's a stairwell. Just like a square stairwell that goes down. You would see in you any see the bottom. Manhattan apartment. I'm yeah, you sure. see the bottom is like a foyer kind of area, yeah. and um, and Patrick Bateman's chasing her with a chainsaw. And awesome. I, I, so I always remembered him wearing some sort of like like white boxers or something. But I think when I read it, it was like he's he's in the nude. But I yeah. I feel like he's wearing boxers and like tennis shoes when he's running around chasing. He has t- white tennis shoes. White tennis shoes, definitely. And that's it. Um, but he's got the chainsaw, and he is sort of like. He's holding it. He's hovering it above. Um, he's, he's on the top. He doesn't want. Judge. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to chase her. He's already yeah. knows he's not going to catch her. So his plan is to drop the chainsaw and hope that it hits her and it impales her at the bottom yes. of the steps through her back. And he just like lets out this joyful scream. <laughs> and I think that probably has become a meme like oh, a million yeah. times over of the, his face covered in blood and he's like screaming um, with excitement. And then and then. Uh, it's funny. It's like, all right, Manhattan. How did nobody hear this? Yeah, my my thoughts exactly. So that's it. In definitely the, goes to well, that's, that's dumb. dumb. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. This guy is in the penthouse suite of this upscale Manhattan apartment. Christie's running through the hallways. Paul Allen's apartment. Paul Allen's pounding on doors. Nobody's answering. There is a chainsaw wielding naked man running around, and there's nobody around. Like if this is Florida. Totally normal. That's a Tuesday. <laughs> this is <laughs> or Texas. I don't know with the chainsaws. Again, an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was Co- also a movie that he was watching in the background. He's watching it while he's working out. Yes, 
Yeah, and I uh, that. it's I a like, great, oh, look at that, great scene there. So, um, yeah, and uh, just a quick plug for ourselves: uh, episode one, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Feel free to go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. It's our top-rated show. I think it's because it's our first show. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. You have the numbers. I don't. I think our top-rated show so far. Um, I think we've got the most views on Candyman, but I think Hills Have Eyes was a, is a, is in second place right now. Oh wow! So get out there and listen. So go back to. It's probably movies that people kind of recognize with. I mean, as you can tell, these are more like our genre, 90s and 2000s. Uh, people are starting to like, oh, yeah, I remember that film where I saw it. Where yeah. some people may, may maybe uh, around our age have not seen Carrie, have not seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So here we are. That's a great uh, thing about horror, though, is like, just watch them all. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You got time. That's just... the point of the show. Hey, listen to us babble for an hour and uh, go watch it yeah, you know, and have fun with it. Listen, assholes. You can go back and listen, watch Lost 10 times over again, or you can watch a couple horror movies, all right? Yeah. Watch some horror movies. Come on. Give us some Give us some ideas. Speaking Sorry. of which, speaking <laughs> of which uh, I'll get off track here. Uh, my wife and I are getting back into Friends. <laughs> I, I never <laughs> watched it, so uh, the the Office is on Peacock now. I don't have it, so uh, we're, we're going to... We have HBO Max, so we're going right into Friends. Yeah, you can watch the Rabies Fun Run for the hundredth and fiftieth time, but why don't you go out and check out American Psycho if you haven't yet? Uh, and I did, and it was phenomenal. And we've already said that yeah. at the top of the show. It's it's a great movie. So obviously, we already segued into well, that was dumb. So uh, another one is Christy. We both talked about it in the show notes before we even started. Christy, who is, it's not her real name. She's actually a prostitute, probably looks like from the Eastern Bloc. Yep. <laughs> she definitely looks. She's got, she's got the, like the one inch bang, straight bangs across oh, the awesome head. awesome cut. Yeah. Gene a, had the same one. I was like, like what the cut. hell? <laughs> yeah. That was like total 80s there. Uh, bangs and everything. But uh, so Patrick Bateman picks up this escort hooker uh, under a viaduct in some slums of Manhattan and this is the second time and in this before she gets coaxed back into the limo i'm sitting there seeing you know this kind of parlays into another segment of not only well that was dumb don't get back into that limo because you you escaped him the first time yeah the first so she's part of a, a, a menage a trois that he he picks her up the first time in a limo. He calls an escort girl. They all meet back at his apartment. And he has normal sort of like, well, I guess not normal, but he has this um, hilarious sex scene where he's like flexing in the mirror. Oh, he's looking yeah. at himself. He's videotaping it. He's he's directing them to do all these things. And he's um, just flexing, just like looking at his own. Yeah, the, the narcissism is just there uh, in this scene. It's classic. Yeah, like he, Yeah, he's taking care of himself the whole time. He's only thinking about himself while he's having sex. Um, but you see after everyone falls asleep, he gets up and he goes into this drawer full of rusty tools and um, like a, a coat hanger and all this other things. And they're like, oh, can we leave now? And he's like, I'm not done yet. We're not finished yet. And then kind of flashes to the next scene where they're both storming out. Like you see um, one of their, the one chicks, her, her no, the escorts, her nose is bleeding. And they're both like clearly trying to get out of there. Like they had a great time. Sabrina? Yeah, Sabrina. They're drinking, they're drinking a high-end sh- uh, Chardonnay. Oh, it looked like a lovely evening, like super class all but, the way. But until he did the- something to them. Oh, yeah. And then with so we go back, and he's with Christy again. And, and she's she- like, 
my 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 uh, one of my coworkers told me to get a lawyer, and he's trying to write her because I might have to get surgery. Yeah, she had to go to the emergency room after their last visit, so you don't know what happened, but something something pretty, with a coat hanger. Yeah, I think I I if I remember correctly, uh, I read something about in the book that it says like. Um, that she'd be walking with a limp the next day or something. Um, and so you're like, something fucked Yikes. up happened there. But yeah, she gets she gets back in the limo with him. You're like, that is dumb. That was super dumb. For money. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, if you're strung out or whatever. But she didn't seem strung out. So I don't know how desperate she was for that money. But she got back in the limo with him. And unfortunately, she was the chainsaw kill. <laughs> yeah, she was the chainsaw kill. So uh, obviously, that was dumb. Uh, another one is... Uh, we already kind of alluded to it to the uh, business card off that I that I mentioned the misspelling. Everyone's uh, a vice everyone's president. A vice president. <laughs> uh, I already alluded to nobody in this movie, even though their VPs do any work. Yet there's a lot of office scenes. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I don't. They're always at lunch, eat, drinking, uh, smoking. At least, in, at least in Mad Men, they're doing work. They're yeah, marketing. <laughs> this this is. I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb or nitpicks, whatever you want to call it. And then obviously what I thought was dumb uh, towards the end of the movie, uh, Patrick Bateman is going super psychotic, gets into his office uh, after shooting uh, shootouts and whatnot um, and calls his lawyer Harold and confesses, confesses to, to everything. everything. <laughs> Things that you don't even see on camera. That's why we think the body count is 12 in the movie, but he alludes in this confession to 40 or 50. So yep. I thought that was dumb. Don't don't confess yet, Pat. Um my dumb things, um obviously like it's it it's it's the time in the movie and everything, but like um, you know, there's a lot of like office sexual harassment. You know, he his uh, assistant Chloe Savini um uh plays Jean. You know, he tells her Another like big name. do not wear that Another outfit again. Yep. Like you need to wear this. I like high heels, like he's telling her what to wear. Um <laughs> Obviously, that's a little, uh, little much. Yeah, won't play today. That's for sure. Um, the scene where he brings Courtney to that he 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 lies to her and says he's going to bring her to Dorcia. He's like his side piece, um, and she's like so strung out on lithium that oh she's God. like she's like melting in her chair. Yeah, like passing out. And he's like, "You're going to have the peanut butter soup with the roast." How much yams. did that turn you on about how he was ordering for her? Like the food, where you like, mm, I'm hungry. Any any point in this movie where you're like, man, I could really go for, uh, where do we go to eat? Oh, we went to uh, Blue Heron. The Blue Heron. What what town was that? Uh, it's in Sunderland. Sunderland, very fancy restaurant. Big shout out to them. Great spot. Uh, Great food. We had a nice date night with our with our significant others. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I was like, at some moment, I'm just sitting there like, man, I'm kind of hungry for a very high class <laughs> meal while people are just getting murdered in front of me. Yeah, they, yeah there's he, a lot of food talk in this one yeah, for sure. Because when he's ordering for us, I was like, ooh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Pat, Pat, you can order for me anytime, man. Um, Dumb thing is, all right, you can't call Dorcia and try to get a reservation the same oh, night. Yeah. That's just that's just stupid. That's a joke that sticks with you all day. You're Come like, on. Uh, <laughs> Don't you joke with Andrea all the time about that? Yeah, you like, can't get a last minute res at Dorcia. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's dumb. Um, oh, we already mentioned already, but lecturing the homeless when you're a nepotism case. Not that, <laughs> the whole, not that it was dumb, but I thought it was hilarious how there was a. 
how he's from Harvard talking about that whole Yale thing. Oh, yeah. Which which is a great scene. I'm not going to repeat it, but it's just hilarious. Yeah. I, and I didn't go to an Ivy League school. I barely know anybody that did. <laughs> so right. I'm totally on the outs, but it really exposes that as being super hilarious. Uh, Harvard and Yale and how they think about each other. And then they also allude to Cornell. They went to another place, another restaurant, the Cornell House or something like that. So I I always think I'm like, man, there's a lot of Ivy League happening. Definitely. Um, so there's a scene where after he um, kills Paul Allen in his apartment, in his apartment, he's dragging him through the lobby, and there's just a trail of blood behind him. And the doorman just kind of looks at security, like just looks down and looks goes back to what he's doing. Like you see Patrick dragging this like corpse, basically like in blood streaking through, and nobody catches that um well he runs, in, he runs into um <clears throat> lewis a colleague he runs into um lewis carruthers yep who is a doofus and a tumbling dickweed as they call him in the movie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so perfect yeah that, he was almost a franklin at the beginning he was kind of getting i was getting a franklin yeah, vibe from him but yeah, he doesn't do anything was, really wrong he, he did annoy me he was just very uh eccentric <laughs> and you know a little you know there was a scene in the bathroom flamboyant yeah and i'll add that on because he so obviously some form of closeted homosexual in the movie. Um, and you can't blame him because he's in this world where that just wouldn't fly with anybody like his right. friends, his work, like he probably would get fired. That's just like the time, like right. no, it wasn't accepted. And, and it, the best part in that, which is, you know, unintentional comedy, I guess, or, or that was dumb. It was so funny that Lewis gets to see him throw the body of Paul Allen into this trunk <laughs> of a limo taxi, whatever it may be. Uh, and, oh. <laughs> and he, all he says is like, where did you get that overnight bag? It's like, it's Gautier. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh man, what a line. What a delivery. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's another scene. Um, I'll add it to the dumb, but he gets to see Lewis's new card and it infuriates him. Like he goes into a rage and so he follows Lewis into the bathroom and he's going to choke him. He puts on some leather gloves. He's going to choke him and he just can't bring himself to do it. He just like stops or whatever. Yeah. Lewis turns around and thinks that Patrick's coming onto him. So yeah. he starts kissing his wrist or whatever. And Patrick gets really freaked out. He walks over and starts washing his gloves. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was kind of stupid. That was kind of dumb. But then, he, then he's like, where are you going? He's like, I have to return some videotapes. Yes. And we hear that many times yes. throughout the movie. That's I think it's the first time where he says, I have to return some videotapes. And it, and it and it's a great delivery. It's a great line. It's said a couple more times throughout the movie. And that was definitely one that my friend Derek and I used a lot. Yep. Oh yeah. Like when we were like, Hey, we're you know, we're we're leaving the party. We gotta go to you know, we gotta return some videotapes. It's just like, like if what that does movie, that mean? I don't know. But if that great. movie came out earlier, that would have been like the ultimate thing to get out of plans. Hey, can you come help me move next Saturday? Oh, you know, I have to return some videotapes. I'm on my seventh day. <laughs> yeah. What, what I can't a, pay those late you, fees. You can get out of anything, according to Patrick Payment, with delivery yeah. videotapes. So just a note out there to all the listeners, if you want to get out of plans, just say you're returning some videotapes. If someone questions you, your, well... Your boss, you missed a deadline. Ah, oh, man, I was probably delivering I was probably video. returning some videotapes at that point. I don't know how much that's going to play today in this world, but... I would use it anyway, just for haha. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, like no one hears the chainsaw. I mean, those are the kind of the main things that I had in there. Um, 
Oh, uh, I have a couple funny moments if we can do oh, that. Oh, go for so, it. So some things that I really enjoyed that were hilarious in the movie. Um, number one, when he's trying to get away from answering more questions with the detective, he says he's going to have lunch with Cliff Huxtable. Yes. And the detective just buys it. And so if you don't know who Cliff Huxtable is, it's Bill Cosby's character in The Cosby Show. Yeah. Um, Dr. Huxtable. So yeah, you- <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> and he does that a couple times throughout the movie where he like drops a name. Yeah. And it's somebody pop culture of the time and he just easily strings it into a conversation or who he was with or an alibi or whatever it may well, be. It was, and, it was very funny. And one of my favorites is that he says that uh, he went to go see the play um, uh, Africa, Brave Africa. Um, and it was a, what did he say? It was like a laugh riot or something. Yeah. And so like nobody thinks twice about this, yeah. but it's like, it's just, it's just funny that he brings that up. Um, and this actually falls more into the dumb moments. I forgot. I apologize that I didn't hit it. Um, I want to mention it now and then I'll go to my last funny moment. Um, but dumb moments is according to Bryce, these are some things that you can catch from sex potentially Ooh. based on a study that he's heard. Alzheimer's <laughs> muscular dystrophy. Um, hemophilia, leukemia, diabetes, or dyslexia, which is not a virus, <laughs> but you can catch those from sex potentially. Sounds um, about right. Yeah. The other funny things, um, the crossword meat and bones for all the answers. I yeah. thought it was pretty hilarious. Um, it's like, oh, you're doing a crossword. Gene comes in. You're yeah. doing a crossword. Can I help you? <laughs> and he's just like. Is that the same scene when he has the hair, twirl in the hair? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's he goes to an ATM and he sees this cat, and he, tries uh, to- he picks up the cat and the ATM says, "Feed me a stray cat." <laughs> and then he puts like a nine millimeter to the cat's head. It's like bigger than the cat. Yeah, and this lady again, the 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 what queen of yeah, the queen of well, that was dumb. She was a Karen. Yeah, she was a she was a Karen Whoa. in this movie. We had a, we had our first Karen in two thousand. It was this lady who. I mean, what I guess. What are you doing to that cat? He things, turns over with a gun and shoots her. It's just like all things why considered. Would you, why would you mess with a guy trying to feed a cat to an ATM with, with a, a gun? gun in his- <laughs> just walk away, lady. Karen. She's a Karen. Um, I do. One of the funniest moments, though, is again like where no one listens in this movie. Is that um, he's in a bar and he's talking to a, uh, who you find out to be a model who, who he definitely kills. Um, she says, uh, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm mostly into murders and exhibitions. And she goes, or executions, murder. Oh yeah. Murders murders. and executions. And she says something like, how do you um, like that? How do you like that? People I know that are in that find it real boring, but it was like, and then she says murders and acquisitions. (laughs) So again, like just no listening in there. Um, pretty funny um but yeah i think that's kind of the main stuff for the dumb but i i love the um the all the homages to to ed gein texas chainsaw massacre sort of that true american horror in a sense yeah i mean like you said he was working out watching texas chainsaw massacre uses a chainsaw he's got a um a head in his freezer yeah um call it jeffrey dahmer call it whatever um but obviously if you track the the period piece, it'd be more of an Ed Gein thing. Um, he ate some of the brains, he said, yep. in his confession. Ted Bundy. Um, right. 
Uh, Dahmer. Dahmer definitely Dahmer. ate Dahmer right. ate more of the brains. Ted but Bundy also, was like the good looking guy that kind of lured women. Yeah. He wasn't as he wasn't as he, freaky. He, he, who do you, he was talking to Gene about Ted Bundy and he was like, you know, Ted Bundy had a dog named Lassie. And he thought that was funny. Yeah, a collie named Lassie. <laughs> a collie named Lassie. And he was like giggling about it. And she's like, Gene was just kind of like off putted. Like, what? Like, yeah, because he That's a weird fact to tell me. <laughs> so he, he mentions one line in there that he attributes to Ed Gein, but it was actually an Ed Kemper, another serial killer, um, where he's talking to all his friends and all his friends are bullshitting about how women um either they're attractive or they have a good personality. You can't have both. The only reason they have a good personality is they have to make up for how unattractive they are or if they have a good or if they're attractive, they have no personality. So they're bullshitting about this. So Patrick starts to bring in what he thinks is like going to be a great line where he says, do you know what um, Ed Gein says, you know, said when he would see a pretty lady and it was sort of like he would say two things like one, uh, you know, I, I think about how I would love to take her out and yeah. and ask her out on a date and romance her and blah, 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 blah. And, and then Bryce says, well, what's the other thing? Let's see what her head looks like on a stick. Yeah, and he think and he starts laughing, and nobody is like into this, and that's another moment where he starts getting very angry. So again, like he's trying to fit in so badly, and so he he's like bringing a he, again his mask is coming off, the facade starting yep. to drop, the walls crumbling. He says this line where he thinks it's like hilarious, and like nobody's like. F- and you would think that that kind of group would think it was funny, but like they just think it's too dark and a little bit too creepy for them to think that, that was something that they'd be into. So you're like, okay, like again, you're seeing more about how he's coming out to his friends in a sense that yeah, he's and nobody he's a little twisted. They don't even they don't even care either. It's like all in no. his head. Again, they're like, okay, what? Where are we going tonight for dinner? You know, yeah. they're, it's, I'm not going anywhere without reservations. That's <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That's that's a good one. I say that to my wife all the time. <laughs> another another quote. I'm not line. going anywhere without reservations. <laughs> She's like, so well, Max Berger doesn't do reservations. <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> All right. So the, our usual next segment is what would you do? I think we're gonna just skip that. Or do you have something? No, I, I think we both agreed. Like we, as a dumb moment, like we would not get back in the car with Patrick Bateman once yeah, he. It's, it's it's not a glamorous topic here because I mean. You know, what would you do? You know, she does a great job, though, in this scene, getting away. You know, like... Yeah, she's almost home free. She's almost home free. And then, uh, by luck, have it. The guy drops a chainsaw. Very, you know, perfect. Um, trying to think. I think I'd do a better detective work. If I'm... If I'm um... Yeah, but that guy's so lost because there's so many mistaken identities and alibis that it's just Patrick Bateman is just kind of an idiot. But nobody's keeping an eye on Paul Allen's apartment because he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment to kill. That's where that murder happened. So, like, I don't know. It just feels like Paul Allen's missing. There's obviously yeah, why, why some foul are, play. Yeah, why aren't you And going? no one's there watching his apartment, listening for messages, seeing his phone rings. So, again, a, a fun fun trivia thing for everybody. So, Mary Heron told William Defoe to play that role three ways. Right. To play, like, I know what happened, and I'm going to get you, Patrick. I have no idea what happened. And the other is just true detective work, like, ambiguous. like Yeah, I'm indifferent. Tim. I'm indifferent. So, and what was evident for this editing masterpiece, in my mind, is that when he's interviewing him in his office, office for the first yeah. time, there is a, they're, they're not in the same room the way that the camera angles go. It's, okay. it's single shot. So they keep single shot on Patrick Bateman, 
and then they shift the camera back to William Defoe. So you never see that they're in the same room. So William Defoe is literally playing the scene three different ways, right. acting it three different ways, and they're splicing and editing it in. So you were like, "What the fuck is like?" As a watcher, you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Does is he is he does he know? Is he leading a trap? And then he's like, "I have no idea what's going on. Have a nice day." <laughs> but then he pulls out the Huey Lewis album. Yeah. Right. And so he's like, "Have you ever heard this before?" Oh, I just got it on my way here. And you're like, "Is that a clue?" Yeah. Because he he's looking to investigate Paul Allen's death, who was killed to hip to be square. He's got the same album in his hand. And of course, Patrick Bateman's like, no, I don't like music. I hate singers. You know, he's like, he yeah. tries, he's like, he totally takes a point. Instead of being like, no, I haven't heard that one yet. Is it good? Or I can't wait to hear it. He's like, no, I never, I hate music. <laughs> Which just gets me to, it's William Defoe, it's Christian Bale, some great actors of our time. Oh, wonderful. Just crushing scenes together. Yep. So every time you see them get together, it's phenomenal. They do, they do, they both do a great job. Agreed. So, they, yeah, what, you know, what would you do? Man, it, I guess I just wouldn't confess to Harold. It's kind of like that dumb moment where I just say, hey, just don't keep your mouth shut. Yeah, like wait to see if you actually got caught. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like, what would you do? If I was Patrick Bateman, I would just keep laying low, man. You've made it this long. Who knows how right. long this has been going on? 50 deaths? Like, I don't know. Is that five years of shit? Yep. You, Maybe, I don't know, five months? Who you're, knows? You're good at showing no emotion, so if they interview you, like, you're going to do fine. Yeah, and from my point of view, you're, you're, you're fooling William Defoe, so you're doing, and all your friends, like, yep. you're doing a fantastic job. Don't, don't confess. So what would you do? Don't confess. Um, the Sue Award. They ain't never going to be right. Yep. Segment number six here. Uh, I got two candidates for you. I got Gene. Gene, yeah, I think Gene's the winner. Looking through Patrick's date book and seeing murders and graphic pictures. And when she goes into her, his office and yeah. starts looking at the date book towards the end of the movie, and he just has all these psychotic drawings of like chainsaws and the w women, whatever. I'm just like, holy shit. Um,. And also Sabrina, she she survived. Oh right, right. Uh, is, yep. is the first menage a trois between Christy, Patrick. Well, actually, it was Paul Allen, right? Uh, yeah, she thinks Paul keep, Allen. Keep up with us. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Bateman. Patrick Bateman is is trying to be Paul Allen and having sex with Sabrina, the professional escort. She's kind of the high end, and Chris, Christy is the viaduct <laughs> yeah. find on the streets. Uh, walker of the night um so sabrina just the escort she made it out alive she had a what a bloody lip bloody eye she had big scratches on her back and she was limping out yeah. of the room as she walked out but guess what from our point of view she survived and she ain't never gonna be right yeah i think uh, now that you mention it because i did write that initially it was the menage scene with uh with christy and sabrina but i i forgot that yeah christy dies but sabrina lives so sabrina although gene like she's close to Patrick. She probably is seeing this. And there was she, a scene where she, she almost she, gets it. She almost got it with a nail gun, nail gun, which he says in the confession that he killed his ex-girlfriend with a nail gun. So this yeah. is like a, you know, this is his, his sequel to that. Um, but yeah, she's probably looking at that going like, was I going to be a victim? Yeah. Or, she, she had a date night with him and he was ready to kill her. And then he's like, and it was funny. Like, 
Evelyn of all people is his is you know Reese Witherspoon's character calls in things get super awkward because she knows she's kind of being you're my man yeah kind of <laughs> some some uh, infidelities happening and 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 everything everyone cooler heads prevail and Patrick Bateman lets her go like it's kind of the first human yeah it's the first second. time where you see like both both people he he let them both go I mean there's three survivors in this Gene Lewis and Sabrina. Right. Sabrina, like, I wonder if he was going to go back to her. Like, he went back to Christy, obviously. Yeah, I was trying to slow down the scene when he's running through Paul Allen's... Christy, the second menage a trois, is running for her life. Right. And she runs into a closet, and there's bodies hanging in body bags in the closet. I paused it, looked at the picture, looked at the faces, trying to match it to Sabrina. Hard to see, but I'm going to say no. I don't think so either. I think you get... You definitely know the models in there. You know that probably the woman that he... Sabrina got back in a taxi and went back to Ohio. Or Iowa, yeah. wherever the hell she was from. Trying to make it in New York City as a high-end escort. She she left. She was smart. Yeah, and I think she knew like her story wouldn't wouldn't fly. If she went to the police and tried to turn him in, like it wouldn't fly. But you could tell the way she was. She was you know, something about her had an aura of, uh, an aura of just being like... I'm going to smarten up and get the fuck out of New York City. Yeah, that that definitely taught her some stuff in that so one. So it's kind of sure. my alternate ending a little bit where it's like, you know, for her, for her sake. But again, she ain't never going to be right. I mean, I don't know. So what do you think? Sabrina, Jean, Sue Award, which one do you think runs away with it? Not I think l- Sabrina. She got the worst of it. Yeah. Because Jean didn't. She just she just seems to be, I got lucky. Yep. So, uh, or yeah. she, she, but uh, Sabrina actually was in like actually got abused yep agreed and survived so all right sabrina i'm sorry but you are the winner of the sue award you ain't never gonna be right alternate ending do you have any um i don't want to to be honest with you like i don't think that like it ends in a good way the only thing i can think of is like if you extended the movie that maybe um gene turns him in maybe she calls his father maybe she um, she she um in, interrogates him when he comes back. Like, what is this? Where is Paul? Allen? Maybe she she knows. Like, hey, there's a detective coming asking about Paul Allen, consistently coming to talk to you. So that's a little bit sketchy. Why was he wanting to talk to you? Then he sees all these drawings and these pictures and stuff in there. M- maybe she starts interrogating him a little bit more too. Like, what is this? Like, who are you? Kind of kind of thing. But I don't think that you it changes the outcome. Except maybe he kills Gene. Um, or maybe she keeps her mouth shut because that's just kind of the, she's a timid character in the movie. She doesn't seem like someone that would call him out. Um, so, you know, maybe they, they end up, she ends up linking up with him and they become a murderous couple who know, you know, like oh. a couple ways you can go, but I think that it, it, it ends fairly, um, in a good spot where it leaves it open to what, um, what could happen. So. Ultimately, like, I don't think I have an alternate ending that would be better than the original or would even meet it close. Yeah, so my alternate ending, the movie ends the same way it begins. The four guys in a bar chit-chatting away about nonsense. And there was a moment where Patrick Bateman has this inner monologue going and he's talking about how I thought my confession would teach me something. And it didn't. Right. And then the movie just 
deadpans into his eyes and you are just looking into the eyes of a serial killer because it's completely blank. And you see behind him the this is not an exit sign and that's also the last line in the book. So, oh, great fact. And my turn on that or alternate ending is that he does learn something. Instead of that last line, he's kind of like, I confessed, nothing happened to me, I'm going to change my life around, and then becomes the governor of New York City. (laughs) That was because people like that become governors of New York City. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A serial killer uh, on Wall Street makes it big as governor. Doesn't that sound... I don't know. Sound, sound kind of right. It's the American especially, dream, especially in the eighties of uh, <laughs> Giuliani. You better watch out because he he was coming after your job. No, he sure at was. that time. <laughs> um, but a, another funny fact that we didn't get into: Donald Trump was mentioned in the movie, and Ivana Trump Ivana was Trump. mentioned in the movie. So <laughs> yeah. I thought that aged uh, pretty funny, pretty pretty yep. well. Where he was like, "Hey, was that Donald Trump?" I'm just like, "Who cares?" <laughs> her, oh my gosh, is that Ivana Trump when he's trying to impress? Uh, Paul Allen at that because Paul's totally drunk and he's in Texarkana, which and he he's hates already, the place because the place is like, totally empty. He's like, is that? <laughs> he's trying to upscale it for him. You know, I could have got us into Dorcia. I could have got us into Dorcia. So, all right, we'll spend a little bit more time. I know we're going a little long here, but um, this is this is the best section for this movie. Um, right, the soundtrack and the score. I mean. This is this is a ten out of Dude, it's ten. Ten out of ten. There's no 10 question out of about 10. it. Um, and we we already alluded to "Hip to Be Square." I'm sure. Did you have other notes? What other songs were in this? So I think the the first standout track. There's a couple of tracks that I think that come up before, but the I think the first track that's the standout um, is Katrina and the Waves, "Walking on Sunshine." Walking on yeah. When he's walking it's, it's in a little a, homage to uh, "Secret of My Success." You ever watch that movie? Yep. And he's walking into work. So he's got the headphones yeah, on. Yeah, secret of my that. success. Like a little Perfect. like shot into that. Yep. Um, and then Evelyn's complaining um, in the in the limo with him, and he's got headphones in again, and he's listening to the new Robert Palmer "Simply Irresistible" is playing. Simply irresistible. Yep. A uh, great track. Um, and then I think like you know we talk about the soundtrack sort of fitting with the scene, like maybe there's some underlying tones here, but you don't even need it because he's analyzing it during the scenes yeah he's helping you along that's why it's like we don't have to overlay more of that information every song is a point yeah just watch the movie and he's gonna go on these long tirades and again listen closely on the narratives this makes brett easton ellis's book phenomenal because every time he narrated every line he delivered was word for word from the book yep and that was phenomenal there was no ad-libbing uh, on some of these narratives, I mean, he had monologues that were like minutes long, and you're you're riveted by some of these ones. Totally. There were very so much substance behind it, so much thought that you're kind of like, "What is wrong with you, man?" Like it's almost like, uh, and this came out probably this maybe a year later, but it's sort of like a similar concept to like American Beauty. Okay, was like again in this narration, he's narrating his own life through the movie about his, you know, his. His unhappiness, his whatever, and yeah, his, he was very self-aware of who he was, what animal he was. He was trying to mask it. He, you know, he, he's trying his hardest. The way that he narrates the songs, the way he has dialogue with his friends, um, so many moments where you're just like on. Every time Patrick Bateman speaks, you're kind of like, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm locked in. Um, 
there's a scene he's in his office um, and he's listening to Chris DeBerg's uh, Lady in Red. Yeah. Um, and he's like real zoned out to it and he gets interrupted um, because the detective's there to see him, but um, he's zoning out. So he's just, he's, he's loving the music. Um, and then during the first menage, uh, we've got Simply Red's If You Don't Know Me, You Will Never Ever, ever Know Me. Um <laughs> And uh, this song's playing, and he's looking at Christy, and he's like, "Clean your vagina." <laughs> you know, it's just like you get those like these funny like scenes over the songs, which is which is pretty funny. Um, and then of course we get he's a whole thing about Genesis and Phil Collins. Oh yeah. Um, I'm surprised it wasn't in the air tonight because isn't that like? Uh... Well, he actually doesn't. He doesn't play Genesis. He talks about Genesis, he's but he's playing, playing Phil, Phil Collins. Collins. Yeah. Um, so they play um, In Too Deep and uh, Susudio, um, and that's during, still during the first menage. Um, so what song is playing with Gene in the room? With Nothing? Gene. Um, I don't think there is a song. I don't think he's playing anything with ah, Gene. So there's a tell. He likes yeah. to kill with music, and that's part of this great segment for us. I mean, the guy kills... <clears throat> He he wants to have a soundtrack to his death, to his deaths. Yep. So he kill he kills Paul Allen to hip to be square, like we already yep. said before. Um, and so big tirade about uh, Huey Lewis in the news. Um, but yeah, the the scene he doesn't kill them, but he tortures them. Is to the Phil Collins. He's boring them to death with his talks about again. Um, during In Too Deep and Susudio, and that Invisible Touch was the was the band's masterpiece, or Genesis Genesis um, that was their masterpiece, and that really Phil Collins was where they started to shine as a band because the Peter Gabriel era was like way too artsy fartsy and wasn't yeah. really like his style. Um, but what but during, about the uh, the second Menage a Trois with Elizabeth? That was uh, Whitney Houston. Well, no. Yeah, I, 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 you, you did the, your research, <laughs> didn't you? Whitney I, Houston said, "Fuck no, this movie is not, or my sound, song is not getting in that movie." Now, first of all, I'm just gonna say that if you listen to the greatest love of all, it is a complete ripoff of a Gordon Lightfoot song. Um, so, I, I'm I'm blanking on the Gordon Lightfoot song right now, but. Um, it's definitely a ripoff of a Gordon Lightfoot song. So yeah, what is it, just instrumental in the background? Yeah, it's like someone's playing is playing greatest love of all. Yeah. Um it's like a Philharmonica or something yeah. like, you know. Um but they're playing they're playing but it. He's but he's talking about Whitney, Whitney Houston, Houston. But she wouldn't and release the track. Is- Laughing is it? Her She's like, you up. like Whitney? You, you you have a Whitney Houston CD yeah, in your apartment? Yeah, this is part of why I wanted her to die. I'm like, just hurry up and kill her. Please. Yeah, come on, Whitney. I mean, at that point, Whitney hadn't come out with a Bodyguard soundtrack yet, which is really the <laughs> that was where she blew up. But certainly, um, yeah, we 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 wanted her to die during that scene. Um, and then the only other song I think on there is um, "What's on Your Mind" by Pure Energy is a good dance song that's playing in the club. Um, in general, there's not a ton of songs, and I think that most of the budget for the movie, or a lot of the budget for the movie, went to getting the rights to these songs, like a now, good what, portion what of it. What club scene was that in? The second one or the first one? Um, model, with the, with the model, I think. The second one. So the yeah. first one was, uh, I think my brother would kind of give me a shout out. Um, Talking Heads? Oh, yeah. There's there's some Bowie 
in here too. Um, again, I'm kind of giving the, the tracks that stand out the most, but there's some background music where they've got. Dude, it's a soundtrack you guys can go buy. I don't know. Yeah. And it's phenomenal. But I don't think it has Huey Lewis on it. I think that there was some issue with the rights to that. So I think it didn't make the soundtrack or made the original soundtrack, but then they had to like cut it from the copies they made after that. And so. I don't whatever. It, when you guys yeah. are watching the movie, enjoy all of its splendor, the great music that you and I, everyone knows, and phenomenal death scenes to each one. It's great. Agreed. Yeah, great soundtrack. Ten out of ten. This was. The and there first. was a lot. There was a lot of good score in it too. There was a lot of violin, a lot of piano. There was a lot of just overtones of that as well. So. And good, just good ambience too. Like this, like uh, like a pad where it's like, you know, and like it builds tension yeah again phenomenal we i think it was one of our best rewatch for us i think so far yeah just because uh, i think it was the, it was one that maybe slipped through the cracks but also was such a great movie yeah and like i, I mentioned before I, in my opinion I, I don't think it did the box it bombed in the box office didn't do what it was supposed to do but I don't think you, you caught all these actors and actresses at a time where they before they really blew up. I think. Yeah. So once you look back at the movie and watch it, you're like, "Holy shit! All these people were in this fucking movie. Hell yeah!" And it was awesome. Jared Leto, William Dafoe, Christian Bale, John Lucas, Reese Witherspoon. I mean, and I think Lewis's wife. Her face is familiar. I, I can't figure out the actress's name, but you'll once you see her face, you're like, oh, I've seen her in other movies. She she gives you the vibe of um, uh, who who is the the lady from from Mad Men that played his uh, that played John Hamm's wife? Kind of looks like her a little bit. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Very similar vibe, but not it's not her. But you get that vibe. Anywho, awesome movie. We suggest you to go back, watch it again, follow along with our segments. I have some questions. I, I guess for for the listeners, if you if you if you're checking this out, is um, you know, some some things that I think came up in the movie, and we I don't want to get too far into the rabbit hole or anything, but how much of this is is delusion, yeah, and how much of this is reality? Pay attention to that. Maybe we missed it, but obviously the internet has its theories. It has, like you said, a rabbit hole effect that you can get into. Um, yeah, because I, I got for, th- uh, thoroughly confused when I first saw it back in 2000, and again last night, where I'm just like, "Holy shit, was this all real, or was this fabricated? Was this fabricated in his mind?" Yeah, the, the, you question it. You question it all at the end. The You're fir- just like, wait, what just happened? The first time I saw it, I took it completely at face value. Also a great Phil Collins album, Face Value. <laughs> wow. um, I took it at face value, and uh, so I'm like, okay, this all happened. But when I watched it the second time, like the delusion came from like the first part in the movie where he he's looking at the ATM and it says to feed it the stray cat. And so you're like, okay, he maybe he's a little bit of a nut job. And then all the mistaken identity where you're like, is it really mistaken identity or are the, are these people still alive? Well, like I said, it was that, that my favorite death scene was like, he's a superior marksman. Like, yeah, that whole everyone scene, was getting, he, go every, he was able to erase everything to keep him safe where I'm like, is that real? Yeah, and all the all the bodies that were in Paul Allen's apartment, and the next day he goes back, and the apartment's completely wiped clean, and, and it's being shown by and the shootout with the cops. There was the like three cop cops. cars, and they all blew up. They all blew up, and, and I'm like, and that's it. Yeah, you're so There's you're no manhunt. There was a helicopter. 
peeking through his window. Because the cat, because all that scene works together except for yeah. the Paul Allen scene is that the, the cop shootout and all people he kills is right after the cat scene. And so you're like, is he on a really um, paranoid delusion right now? A lot of mistaken identities. Because he's on, he's on like, lith- he, no, he's not on lithium. He's on um, Valium. Um, I think it says in the book, but it just shows him taking like some unmarked pills. Yeah, but he's on he's on stuff to too. To so yeah, we're trying to we're trying to put it all together. But make make that decision for yourself when you watch it. Like again, take it at face value. But like, even his lawyer referred to him as another name. Yeah, so you're just so like, I'm like what the. F- it, it becomes a mind fuck. It tri- yeah, trips you up enough. And again, if you just watch it as like a slasher movie, you're like, okay. It's a great movie, but if yeah. you're like taking on the more the psychological piece of it, you're like, I'm never gonna figure this out, and yeah, I, I think maybe that's gonna, the purpose. You're gonna watch it again. You're gonna watch yeah. it again. Maybe so. they don't want you, and that's maybe what's great about it is that you don't you don't know. Yeah. So we got some nuggets for everyone to when you watch, pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention. A lot of different names, identities. You got to keep up. I was writing them all down. I think I was just going almost scene for scene, taking notes, and I'm just like because I had to keep up. So many things change and you kind of don't know which way is up and down. And then at the end, it's just all like, like a, the Hoover dam opening. Like, just like whoa, yep. what, what is going on here? But, uh, did we decide on our next, uh, we talked when we were at the blue Heron again, shout out to them. Great yep. food. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we had a couple of mine that we wanted to do as our next, um, few. Um, I can't remember all of them though. I remember we talked about scream. Yes. We could be doing a Scream episode pretty soon. Can you remember any of the other ones that we talked about? No, it was definitely this, Scream. I mean, we still got Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, we still have a lot of classics, but uh, so maybe we have to go back. I think uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was joking with my brother, who is an active listener. Uh, I think we're going to do Friday the 13th on a 13th show. Probably is fitting for that. So yeah, I feel definitely. like that's going to be our, 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 our pivot there. Um, we also have a Friday the 13th coming up in August. Um, so might be a good way to, uh, we could do a show that day, do it yeah, on a Friday maybe. Show. And, um, what day in August? Uh, the Would that 13th? Be our 13th episode? <laughs> it could be. I'm not good at math. The 13th? Yeah, no shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I asked. But it's a Friday. It's a 13th. You know, if I do the math right, I don't know. Could that be We're our probably close? It's yeah. pretty close. <laughs> Someone do so it. So maybe for we us. have to sneak in a show somewhere. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, that's all we got, man. And uh, again, American Psycho, great movie. Two thumbs up. Um, definitely worth it. I'll, and I'll, I'll probably watch it again in a year, just because. Oh yeah, it's it's, it'll be a new one. I always want to keep up with. It's it's a great movie. Christian Bale crushes. He's he he again before Batman. And I thought he crushed, and I was like, I love this guy. I don't know. Every movie since then, I'm all about. I'm in it. Actually, you know what we might be able to do? And it's it's really new, so it might be good to do it fresh, but um, Netflix has this sort of horror anthology that they're doing right now called Fear Street. Yeah, I heard, uh, I heard 1994, about it. 1994, and um, I like actually watched... the R.L. Watched Stein books? Similar, yeah. I watched the first ep. It's based on all that, so... I watched the first ep, and it was pretty good. How long was first, it? It's, it's an hour and a half. It's a full movie. And there's four of them? Yeah, the only one's been released so far, but maybe we can. I think, um, I think it keeps kicking out. Well, w- maybe we'll wait for all four of them, to, and then we'll do them all as one. Yeah, something like that. But that's, all, it's something that everyone can have. I mean, most yeah. people have Netflix, so I think it's really attainable for our listeners. And so far, I think three of the five shows we've done, or four of the five shows we've done, 
all the movies are available on Showtime. You can get a free uh, week if you feel like you can watch it, or maybe get free 30 days if you sign up. Yeah. Um, you can probably watch all of these in that amount of time. They've got Carrie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, American Psycho. Um, yeah, they've got a bunch on there. Nice. So. And there's more, so maybe we can pick something from Showtime while we still have our free subscription. <laughs> so tell the listeners where they can find us on Instagram. Um, you can follow at Real Thrills Podcast on Instagram. Um, our link to our Spotify is on there as well. If you follow us, uh, you'll get to see ahead of time what content we're going to be putting out. Um, we do some polls on there too. You can rate episodes. You can talk about what ones you want us to do. So a lot of good uh, kind of interaction on there. And we keep it simple for everyone. Uh, I think we're only on that platform. Yeah. So let's, we're keeping it simple for everyone. We're too busy to find, do more than yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> find us on Instagram. We'll use that as as a, a way of communicating with us. If there's a movie that you guys want, we're always open to your recommendation to keep you playing along, listening along. So uh, We did have one fan request for the movie Rabid. Um, which is on Showtime, so maybe we could do that Ooh. one next week. It's about a, um, believe it's a, this woman survives a really horrendous motorcycle accident, and then whatever blood transfusion she gets makes Ooh. her evil. Rabbit. So could be a good one to do as well. All right. So we we have a lot of suggestions. I'm sure we're gonna mm-hmm. drop that midweek next week. All right, everyone. All right. Good night. Peace out. <laughs>